Okay, hello, good evening, and welcome to another edition of the Guna Ramble, a Guna's World co- podcast. With me tonight, your host, Jizza, I'm accompanied by the man with the safest pair of hands in Guna's World. It's Mr. Leoli. How are you doing, sir? I'm great. Yourself? Not too bad, not too bad. Alongside him, we have the young Phenom. The legs of the team, the one who's got the world at his feet. It's uh, Super Super Callum. How are you doing, mate? I'm very well, thank you. How about yourself? Not too bad. And last but certainly not least, we have our latest edition, Poach from Under the Noses of Arsenal Fan TV. It's the man who would be chief executive here if he had his own way. It's Mr. Mo Hader. How you doing, Mo? Oh, you put a smile on my face with that comment. I'm doing great, though. Good stuff. All right, so tonight we'll be reviewing the Napoli match. Um, really, that's going to be probably the main and most most talked about topic and maybe and you know and ask ask the question how far can we go uh, in this season's competition um we'll ask you know about we'll, we'll, we'll ask mo because mo you were there on on tuesday night we'll ask you about the atmosphere and you know what you know what it was like over there um and then probably we'll go on to um this this new news that's come out this rumored eight million a year deal for, uh, for, for arsene wenger and the recently re- released um, even Gazidis Gazidis salary um, 1.9 million, which you which you covered in your analysis uh, on in, in Twitter, didn't you, Mo? Yeah. Cool. So we'll we'll yeah. we'll, we'll review. Got, that. Uh, sorry, I've got a few interesting uh, interesting things to uh, kind of point out with that, and uh, I think with the AGM coming up on the 17th of October, mm. the uh, general meeting where um, you know you can actually well if you if you're a shareholder. You can actually have a chat with uh, some of the execs. So quite appropriate, I think, the time with that coming up. Good stuff. All right. So um, let's start with the the Napoli match. I think before we go any further, some serious news. Um, as most of you have known, um, there was some trouble before the game at um, Pybury Corner restaurant. Um, Arsenal fans in there before the game, having a bit of grub to eat, minding their own and. Some Napoli ultras stormed in there and, you know, caused havoc and hospitalised one guy who thankfully didn't have any serious injuries. So, um, you know, um, hopefully Mr. Campbell, who owns and runs Pirate Corner, um, you know, is all right. And the guy that was hospitalised and, and hopefully there was no kids or, or women that were particularly traumatised. Night. Did you did you on your way down there, uh, Mo? Did you did you hear anything about that, or did you hear anything afterwards about? Only, only afterwards, only afterwards, and you know, quite frankly, absolutely disgusting. Um, I a couple of points on that. I've heard a rumor that a Napoli fan group has offered to pay for the damages incurred at Ivory Corner, right? Uh, which, if is true, is phenomenal. Yeah, and, you know, it shows shows that. It, it's uh, a minority of the Napoli fans, and if a fan group is doing that, they are decent folks. I um, I bumped into a few Napoli fans on the way to the game. Good banter in their broken English and my broken Italian. <laughs> uh, you know, so I think it's important to stress it. It's just a minority, but absolutely unacceptable. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Okay, well, uh, on to the game. Um, Leo, I know you've been champing at the bit to to uh, eulogise about what we saw, what we witnessed on, on Tuesday night. Um, how how did you see the game? I have not seen Arsenal play that well in as long as I can remember. Um, you know, having the the midfield 
clicking on all cylinders and then, you know, Flamini disrupting Napoli's flow. Napoli struggled to even get a touch on the ball for most of the first half. I mean, that's what I've been dreaming of Arsenal playing like for years now. And it's nice to finally see. And then, you know, going into the game, I never would have thought that that's what I would witness. But I could not be happier today. Indeed. Cal? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I was <clears throat> I was quietly confident before the match. I thought we could get a result. I thought, you know, a draw wouldn't have been that bad. But I still fancied us to win it. But, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have expected us to be too up after 15 minutes. And, you know, the way that we played was just... It was like the Arsenal of old, you know, the yeah. way that we used to come out with Henri and, and Pires, and before you even knew it, you were, the game was gone. Um, and it's interesting, I think, when you contrast it to how we played against Swansea, which was very much a first half of, you know, let's see what you got, and then we'll beat you. We'll yeah. find out what you got, and then we'll, we'll go one step above. Whereas against Napoli, we just said, it doesn't matter what you've got, because we're going to completely take <coughs> you. Yeah. And it was just, I think it was just a culmination of, you know, Ursel feels settled, Giroud and building a nice relationship Ramsey just goes from game to game thinking like I can I can be man of the match every every match and it was just absolutely incredible the pace we played at against the hardest team we've played all season and you know it, it's hard to keep your, your feet grounded when you see Arsenal playing like that because it's you know I think over the last two seasons we've kind of we've lost a little bit of that Arsenal are always that team that play beautiful football I and mean, we've played some great stuff with guys like Sandy and Jack coming back but I think you know Last night, as Leo says, was the best I've seen Arsenal play for a very long amount of time. Mm. Mo, how did you see yeah. it? You was there. What did you make Delighted it? with that. Absolutely delighted. It was just, uh, you know, the atmosphere is um, what you go to games for instead of watching it on TV, you know, for to really feel it. And it really was phenomenal. You, you just didn't, I could have stopped whining for ages afterwards. Um, the, the performance was great. The team seemed so balanced. It seems like we've got... Um, a really good team ethic in, and we've, we've got people that really are taking responsibility for their own roles in um, their given position. So, uh, absolutely delighted with it. In, in the pandemonium of the second goal, I had, um, I have to wear glasses when I go to games because my eyesight's a bit weak. I had them slapped clean off my face. Uh, it was just absolute manic uh, celebrations. It was brilliant. So, thoroughly enjoyable. Where, where were you in the stadium? Which, which um, part of the stadium were you in? North Bank, that's where I stand, that's where I sit, should I say, sorry. Um, that's where I am. <laughs> um, usually, yeah. And um, I heard the atmosphere was just fantastic. It was fantastic. Um, going on, <clears throat> I said in these previous few weeks that I thought I saw us playing a different kind of game this season than we had doing, than we had done in previous seasons in that we were allowing teams to have more possession than us. Stoke City had 55% possession. Um, Tottenham, you know, had more of the ball than us. Um, who else was it? Oh, I can't remember who else we played previously, but they were all having more of the ball and we were, we were letting them, as you say, Cal, we were letting them have the ball, seeing what they got yeah. and then we were, you know, smacking them up. But, Tuesday night, we just came, I mean, you know, for me, Wenger confounded what I thought. He, he had the team set out, going for the jugular, not giving them a moment's peace, didn't hear him. I mean, who was Hansi? I didn't, I don't, I mean, I, I heard he was playing, but. I, you can see his stupid haircut. Right. I, was, that, was, it, was that him? Was it? Okay, cool. That you know, um, they had this new kid, this new wonder kid, uh, in senior. You know, he was invisible. You know, and um, who else? Callahan, who they got from Real Madrid. 
didn't see any of them. Didn't see any of them. You know, um, it was a consummate performance, especially that first half was a consummate performance. It was one of the best performances I've seen. And the thing is, um, going into the game, people were kind of had that kind of cautious optimism. You know, this is Napoli, the second in the table, spent big money. Got, got, you know, um, I think, uh, what's his name? Aurelio De Laurentiis came on Sky Sports, uh, the, the morning of the game and was sort of like, you know, acting really, you know, he was very sartorial because he's a, he's a film director, isn't he? He was actually very sartorial and saying, no, I'm, I do apologize to Arsenal fans for, for, for pinching, you know, um, Gonzalo Higuain and uh, I just hope for a brilliant game of football. I'm sure yeah, he seemed quite, quite smug. You know, in his in his in his dapper Italian outfit uh, suit and whatnot. You know, uh, and, and it, fe- it seems like we've forgotten that it has. It's been ten years since an Italian side has actually come to Arsenal, come to London, and beat us on our own ground. Our own ground. Do you know what I mean? There was cautious optimism going into that game. People were like, yeah, we might be able to do it, but you know, oh, you know, they're the new coming force, and Italian Serie A is making a is a renaissance, it's making a comeback, and so on and so forth. And boy, we just, you know, we licked them like a canetto, didn't we? We licked them like a canetto. Well, it's like it's it's always that internal battle of being, you know, you want to get so excited, but then at the same time, you remember all the horrible, gut wrenching moments where you know where the hope kills you, and it was, you know, so going into the game, we you know we played. To be fair, we've played some great games this season, won, lo- won loads, but, you know, we we haven't played anyone as good as Napoli yet, and Napoli came over with this, this huge side, and the whole Higuain factor, it kind of, <clears throat> I was, a part of me thought, do you know what, we're, the, we're playing brilliantly, we're the best team in the league at the moment, we can overturn them, but then there's always that part of you that thinks, yeah, but Napoli are, are you know, a fantastic side, and also I think because you don't really see, we, I don't watch an awful lot of Italian football, so I wasn't seeing Napoli in week in, week out, but all I knew was that they kept winning. And that they had all these these great new players and a very good manager at the club. But what I think was was most impressive was just that everyone just played to their strengths. I mean, you know, the fullbacks were overlapping brilliantly. So I kept seeing Sanya on that right wing. Mert and Koscielny were so solid at the back. Arteta and Flamini were solid in the middle. And, and the front attacking players just played brilliantly. And, you know, they made a good point on Sky Sports News how, you know, Ertzel scores his first goal, or his only goal, coming in from the left. And then creates a second by darting in from the right. So mm-hmm. it was, it was just brilliant. Yeah, definitely, Leo. Um, <clears throat> you know, um, we 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 were musing before the game or before the uh, Swansea game about that we needed pace. You know, mm-hmm. to have that balance. Without Theo, we needed someone like Nabri. He had a bit more defensive work ethic about him than, than Rayo, and how we'd probably need somebody like that going into the Napoli game. Um, but then Wenger started with Azil, uh, Ramsey and, and, and Rosicki, who, who admittedly you wouldn't really have had those, you know, two of those three playing on the wings, but they all interchanged. It was like, you know, the old math saying that three into one doesn't go was, was, was torn to shreds, wasn't it? It was, you know, it was, it was, it was pissed on by Arsenal that night. You know, <laughs> we were all yeah, over I mean, the place. Yeah. And, and it's not like the defense, like, side of the ball we struggled at all I mean it didn't matter where we were on the field they were closing them down I mean I saw a couple throw-ins that couldn't even get the ball in play hardly and we were already closing down the players getting the ball off of them I think Napoli struggled to put three passes together so even starting some of the more attack oriented players didn't seem to slow us down at all and uh you know and I guess Napoli did kind of 
achieved their goal with the camouflage jerseys being invisible because yeah. I didn't see another team out there on the pitch. Exactly. So, <laughs> it was a fun night to be an Arsenal fan, that's for sure. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Mo, how did you see the, 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 the Flamini Arteta axis? Because on, on our forum, we've been talking about, you know, recently somebody put up, who plays next to Ramsey? You know, Ramsey we know is a shoey, but, you know, people are saying that Ramsey plays in the deeper role or the all, you know, all, all action up and down midfield row. Who plays next to him? I mean, Tuesday night we saw Flamini and Arteta. What do you think they brought to, 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 to the midfield? Well, I think we all know what Arteta brings to the midfield. He, his ball retention is brilliant. You know, he, he really makes this game tick along, keeps the possession without doing anything spectacular. But when you're not trying to do anything spectacular, you also ensure that you don't ever, like, fail. You don't ever lose the ball. So he gives us that real consistency, someone that, you know, he'll always be an option because he's not playing too high up the pitch to be heavily marked, but he'll always get the ball and his passing ability is brilliant. You know, people talk about that quarterback role. He kind of does that for us. For me, though, he's a very different sort of player. They might play close to each other on the pitch, but for me, his defensive reading of the game is just absolutely phenomenal. Um, I, I really noticed it um, on, on Tuesday where... He's basically a fullback's best friend. Every time a fullback uh, is in trouble, he's there to double up. Or if a fullback commits and loses a ball, he slots in almost kind of naturally. And he has had a track record of playing uh, at left back as he did in our run to the Champions League final. He did, yep. So um, I think, you know, he, he does, they don't step in each other's toes. They're playing close together, but they've got different minds when it, when it comes to who they are as footballers. So it's, uh, I actually thought that Arteta and Flamini would never be able to play in the same team. I thought it would always be one of them. But I think they can always change. Um, we are talking about Ramsey being a shoo-in, as you said. For me, Flamini at the minute is a shoo-in. You know, I, I think he's... Well said. ...these days. What do you reckon, guys? Do you, think, do you agree with that assessment, Flamini? I certainly do, yes. Yeah, I, 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 I said on the forum, completely the same. I think um, people are starting to take a lot of notice. You know, a lot, a lot of the... The line being towed at the moment is, is, isn't just Urza, it's Flamini as well who's coming. And, um, you know, I love Arteta. I love Wilshire as well, but I just think the way, you know, Flamini let, lets them all play. And, um, we've been so brilliant. Uh, we've been, you know, a large part of how well we've done has been thanks to him. Not just the way he plays, but the way he organises himself and the team, the players around him. So, you know, for the time being, I think in the big games, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't have anyone else next to, to Ramsey, but, but Flamini. He, he certainly seems, he's certainly putting a marker down for being, at this early stage, for being the, the bargain of the season. Wouldn't you oh, say? Absolutely. Like, no, Leo. Yeah? We're, we're a bit biased, but yeah. I think most people are starting to think the same, because, you know, when he was, when he was signed, it was, oh, ha ha, Arsenal have signed another ex-player, another player on a free transfer. Yeah. And I think a lot of us, you know, because we've been linked with Bender and Fellaini, and, you know, we kind of thought, oh, another, another free when we could be buying a 20 million pound Superstar, but I mean, it's been it's worked out to, to have been an absolutely incredible bit of business. Mm-hmm. And if he does this for another two, three years, then you know it'd be, it'd be absolutely fantastic. All is, I mean, all is already forgiven. I think, as far as I'm concerned, about him leaving because he's given us that you know solid. You know, we all like Song, but he never he, he never had the discipline that Flamini has, mm-hmm. and um, so he's really just come and replaced himself five years on, really. But, <laughs> Yeah, it's true. We haven't. We, we, you're absolutely right there. In, in my opinion, um, we've waited a long time to actually get a Flamini, a Flamini type player back. I mean, some people would argue that 
we don't necessarily need somebody who's a fighter, a biter, a shouter. Do you know what I mean? We need somebody who can who can seamlessly fit into the Arsenal way of playing. You know, um, and I don't doubt Arteta a moment for a moment for his his ball playing abilities, his quarterback abilities. But I think definitely that we need somebody that kind of complements the rest of the ball players. Uh, you know, um, what would you what do you reckon, uh, Mo? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think, you know, you need um, kind of, in any pairing on a football pitch, my personal opinion is that you need that kind of chalk and cheese element. People talk about a plan B. And I think if you have that contrasting style, then it makes it easier for that to happen. So, you know, if you look at a defensive partnership, I think there'll always be one person who's better in the air, better ball player, one with a bit more pacey. I think we've got that with Murta Saka and Kossioni. If you statistics of when them two start together are success rate in games and then also when you're playing two people up front you want a, a slight um, you know contrast between the two you know you, you think Burkamp and Ryan Burkamp and Henri that sort of thing so it's a great partnership with them. so um, I think Flamini he's he's kind of the inverse of the rest of the team mm. he's not interested in looking good or you know playing the Hollywood pass and I think the rest of our team loves all of the one-touch football, but for me, you know, he, he's just brilliant in how disciplined he is, because I know I, I personally would get bored of doing that, and I wouldn't be able to do that for 90 minutes, <laughs> like nine, nine minutes, but <laughs> he, he really does a job, and he does it very, very professionally, so I, I think he's of crucial importance to us, and if people think that we don't need that, I, for one, would disagree. Right. Um, Leo, it's very hard to find a weakness in our team right now. Very, very hard to find a weakness. I mean, you'd be hard pushed not to even give uh, Shashesny some kind yeah. of praise, wouldn't you? You know. Yeah, yeah. I've always been hesitant to do so, as mm. members of the forum are well aware. But uh, yeah, he's been playing very well this year. Um, and going back to Flamini, you know, mm. the one thing that I like the most about having that kind of player in the team is, you know, having a free-flowing attack is great, but it doesn't really matter if you don't have the ball. And having him in the team, I think his organization, his fight, his drive to get the ball back, what played into a large part of how successful we were against Napoli, because when they did get possession, they didn't have it for more than, you know, five, ten seconds most of the time. We were winning the ball back almost instantly. Mm. And that's what allowed us to just keep ramming the ball down their throats for that entire first half. I mean, he... So having him in the squad... Mm brings that other dynamic to the other side of the ball that we have lacked over the last few yeah. years. Um, can I ask, uh, Leo, you, you, um, let me ask you this question. Is Ozil the most influential midfielder we've had since since Chess Fabregas? Would you In my opinion, it's I'm, it's hard to find anybody else that has. Um, you know, Not to discount what other people have done, but Ozil has just been that influential so quickly because he seems to be the type of player who is not only great himself, but when he's in the squad, he makes everybody else around him that much better. And he's come in and just completely <coughs> changed the way that Arsenal's played. And he's only been here a month. I mean, it's just phenomenal to think of how much he's been able to do so quickly and in a new league on top of it all. It's just, I, you couldn't dream of a better signing. Mm. And he's only you know, playing, at least, he's, at least initially. He's not even playing at 100%, is he, really? I mean, he's not really, he's only, like you say, he's only been here a month. I mean, he's not, 
I mean, he looks like he's bedded in seamlessly, but I'm, you, you still think there's more to come from. He's still got to get up to the physicality, the fitness, you know, the the, the pace of the league. Even though he he seems to have managed it quite well. I mean, I mean, how much more can we expect from him once he is up to up to speed? You know, it's hard to say. As well as he's come in, <laughs> if there's more to come, I can't wait to see it. You know, but it's it's been a great start, and if it does just continue on the you know normal trajectory that new players as they adjust to the league improve then uh, man he'll be one of the best players in the world hands down mm. Mo? I mean, he's already pretty close exactly if not there Mo how do you see um, uh, Ozil's signing uh, with the club do you think he's as influential as or the most influential since we've since 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 Chess Fabricast's time or even yeah. before then You've well, changed the tune. That's your nose more bad, mate. Luckily, luckily... We trademark that, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, I, um, I, I really, I've got high, high hopes for him. And, you know, if you think about it, he's, he's moved country. He, I, I don't know how good his English is, to be honest with you, but I, I don't even know if he's found a house yet. Yeah, I, he's not settled here. You just have to think, when he's settled, I mean, he knows the movements of all the players around him seamlessly and he's done all the work in training you know you can only imagine that it's going to get even better and what, what a prospect that is mm. do you, do, Cal do you think we've bought the finished article in Ozil or do you think you know Wenger could make him shine even more Cal oh, looks like we've lost Cal momentarily but we'll um or add to that you know Wenger's had a great track record of developing players over the years so there's no reason to think that you know he won't do the same with Ozil Mm -hmm. you know he has been you know he has been a very good player already but there's always room for improvement every player should go throughout their career trying to get better every day and you know that's the way everybody should function throughout their lives even off, you know, those that are, aren't professional athletes. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine the next couple of years, and he is still a pretty young player, there's definitely, you know, room for improvement. And once he does get there, you know, we will have, you know, a great within the game of football. So I'm anxious to see it. Cool. Also, like I said about Olivier Giroud recently, that he's 27 and you expect now the best years to be ahead of him. And on that logic, Cal, are you still there? Uh, I can hear you guys. Can you hear me? Yep. Yep. Cool. Oh, good. My, my Skype just made a... I think it just fired or something. <laughs> I think we're still here. <laughs> right. Yeah, so we were saying, uh, you know, um, how much better do you think you can get under under, under Wenger? Uh, I think... The thing is, you know, I know people... You know, Wenger has his faults, but, you know, the fact that he... I think... Wenger, you know, Ozil knew when he... You know, it was a bit of a risk for him coming from Madrid to Arsenal. You know, a lot of people said, you know, why are you going to Arsenal? You're playing for the best, one of the best teams in the world. You know, but I think, and going to a club that hasn't won anything for so long, but 
you know, I think both, you know, Wenger spoke German, you know, whatever we think of him outside of Arsenal and outside of England as well, he's seen as one of the best managers in the world and widely respected. Um, and I know we, we often joke about the German contingent, but that's a big thing about it. And, you know, every other day you're always seeing, you know, um, Instagram photos of everyone seems, you know, he seems to be that he's been welcomed into the group so quickly and it just seems that everyone's so happy for him to be here. So I think that's why he's probably adapted so quickly. But, you know, as far as his, his plateau, I mean, I don't think you can really say at this point where, where the limit is. I think, you know, he's 24 years old, you know, hopefully this side can evolve with him and he'll just get better and better. And if that, I mean, it's exciting having him now, but if he's going to get up another few gears, then it will just be absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, we'll come back to the, um, Arsene Wenger thing, but, um, just, just going on, um, I was, as I said before, um, I was quite, I was really surprised how the three players actually interchanged. And, and, and one of you said earlier on that, um, you know, um, uh, came in from the left to score his goal. But then he, for the, he, from the assist, he was on the right setting up Giroud. We saw, um, uh, Ramsey playing on the left at times and playing in the middle and, 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 and Rosicki playing on the left and, and whatnot. And the interchanging, the intelligence, of those three players to interchange their positions and, 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 and not look out of place and, and, and the football to be so fluid, it really must speak volumes of the kind of players that, that and, and the mentality and the philosophy that, that Wenger's sort of nurturing here this season more than any other. Um, Mo, how, how do you, you know, did you expect to see those three kind of hit it off so well in the game? For me, I, I think everything this season has gone above expectations. So uh, everything has been, for me, a pleasant surprise so far. I, I didn't expect uh, the form of any player to be as good as it has been, to be honest with you. Even um, even Ozil coming in, I thought he'd take a little bit of time to settle. I always thought he suited to our style of play and, you know, um, it, uh, you can always, you know, cream rise this sort of thing. But I thought he'd take a little while. So yeah, I am surprised personally that it's happened all so quickly. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Um, okay, so great start to the competition. Um, I suppose we expected ten or twelve points to get us through the next to the next round. But um, do you think now six points from the first two opening games? Do you think now we should really be looking to win it, win the group? Because you know, recently we've come, we've 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 been in positions where we could have taken the group, we could have won the group, and then. I don't know, we, 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 we lose inexplicably and we end up second and we end up getting Bayern Munich or, you know, uh, Barcelona or AC Milan or whatever in the second round. Do you think now we're in a position where it's ours, I don't want to say to lose, but we definitely it's ours to win? What, what, what do you think, Leo? Well, I think we've definitely set ourselves up to the point where, you know, winning the group you know, is easier, smarter path to take, you know, we've gotten through the first two games very well. Uh, yeah, I think the last couple of seasons finishing second in the group has wound up hurting us in the draw. So this year, if we can avoid that by winning the group, we should definitely go for it. You know, we got two tough games coming up against Dortmund, but, you know, after that, we'll have a real good idea of where we stand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and how do you see us um, <coughs> negotiating that game? Uh, it's a tough say. I mean, 
we, I was kind of hesitant going into Napoli, and you know they made me look like an idiot because we absolutely destroyed them. So, you know, I, I feel like you know the more and more that I doubt our ability to beat teams, the dumber and dumber I look. So going into those games, I got to say that we, you know, we should be able to get through them pretty, uh, pretty successfully. Do you think we? How many points do you reckon we could take out of those two games? I'd be ecstatic with four from those two. Mm. Mo, yeah, four. Well, I'd be absolutely ecstatic with. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think, you know, though it's an absolutely great start, if, if we look at the next match day, um, right now it's 6 3 3 nil. So, you know, Marseille are on nil in terms mm. of the points in the group. Yeah. If you look at the next match day, it, it can all change. It can, we can all be on six apiece. Yeah. So, and then it's anyone's gate and it's anyone's um, group again. Mm. So, I'm not getting ahead of myself, um, ahead of myself just yet in this group. Mm. I, I think, you know, we're not even halfway through. If we beat Dortmund, then I think we're in a position where we can start to be very confident. But it, it can all change on match day three. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm a bit cautious right now. Cool. Um, uh, Callum, I mean, we've got Dortmund up first at the end of October. And then uh, we've got Dortmund at home on the 22nd of October. And then <coughs> two weeks later, we've got Dortmund away. Do, 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 do you think we should be getting three points at home? I think we have to, really. Um I think when you look at the group, I think we've played two, but I think our hardest three games are to come, and that's the two, two against Dortmund, and then going to Naples, which I think is going to be, a, a, you know, some tough, tough games. So, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely delighted with the way that we've started, but I mean, if, the thing is, we, I think we have to beat Dortmund because otherwise, if we don't beat Dortmund in the home game, then we've got to go to uh, Naples and we've got to go to, to Dortmund and we've got to pick up some results there. And that is going to be difficult because they're two of the hardest stadiums to go to in, in all of Europe. Um, so I'm not getting too excited yet. I think I still think we will qualify because I think we'll beat Marseille at home. So I think if we, if we were to beat Dortmund at home, we'd take us nine points, keep them on three, um, and then I'd fancy us to beat Marseille, which takes us to twelve, and then from the two away trips to Dortmund and Napoli, we picked up a point or two from there. That would probably see us to the top so um but what i would say is actually on the group as a whole is when we when we got the group was dealt a lot of people were you know oh god this is awful we've got a really bad group mm. part of me thinks you know, when you watch the game on tuesday and the atmosphere we had there you think we wouldn't have had this against olympiacos or Anderlecht or pacos ferreira do you know what i mean yeah. so and i think what's happened in the last few years is that we play these teams that good European teams but we're a step above them we beat them comfortably we qualify comfortably mm. and then in the last 16 we get Barcelona or Bayern Munich and we absolutely shit ourselves because we thought oh god this is a huge step up mm. so if we qualify for this group I mean recently, when we first got the group I was saying oh we'd give some good games but that was kind of just to console myself from the fact that we have this group of there so if are you we, saying that it's get, a blessing in disguise this group if we get through I mean <laughs> if we, even if we finish second and get drawn with Bayern in the next round then you mm. think oh maybe not but I genuinely think that the way we're playing, and if we get a good result against Dortmund, either home or away, no matter who we're drawing in the next round, we're going to go into it thinking, you know, we've beaten Napoli, gotten a result against Dortmund, what is there to fear? So there's not such a big jump up from the group stages to the, the knockout rounds. It's yeah. more of a natural progression, I think. Yeah. But I mean, but most of the big sides, they want to qualify first. I mean, even if Real Madrid thinks they can beat most of the teams and or Bayern Munich thinks they can beat most of the teams in the competition, they still want to qualify first because you don't really want to meet anyone big until at least the quarterfinals, right? Well, no, true. I mean, if you, I mean, if you offered me, an, um, 
Chelsea's group, for example, at the start of that, I would have taken that. But at the same time, I think if you look at the last few years, our problem has been, you know, you know, when Chelsea go into the, you know, the famous Chelsea for going into games where they, they won the trophy just because they had this mentality of we can beat anyone, doesn't matter how good they are, we can beat them. Mm-hmm. Whereas we've gone into games against Barca, against Milan, against Bayern, thinking you know, we're not really good enough to win this. Mm. But I think I think some of that, I mean, we're not. I don't think we're as good a side as we are now. I don't think we've played as well as we have done recently mm. back then. But also now, well, if we do get these teams, I'd, rather, I'd, look, I'd much rather avoid them. I'd rather have the, you know, there's always one or two teams that somehow get into the last 16, and I would love, you know, a, an easier route to the quarterfinals if mm. we get through the group stage. Mm. But I do think if we are lucky enough to qualify, but are lucky enough to draw a big team in the next round, we'll be far better served having played these games against Napoli and Dortmund. Mm. And Marseille, because they're a good team as well. Yeah. So in the next round, so okay. I think it could, it could work out for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Leo. So hearing what Cal's just said, I mean, what do you think? Do you think this group is sort of, if we do qualify, first or second, I'll say second. Do you think that it's kind of given us the the grounding, you know, the test to sort of like giving us the confidence to actually go in against these big boys in the second round if we do qualify second and and not have not hold so much fear? What, what, what's your assessment? Well, I certainly think that, you know, playing the tougher opposition earlier on does help build confidence when you have that success, you know, beating teams like Dortmund and Napoli, assuming we can get a result against Dortmund in one of those two matches, is going to give you more confidence than, you know, beating Basel at home or somebody like that. Um, so I could, I definitely could see where it would put us in a better situation than it has, you know, qualification that is from this group would put us in a better situation than qualifying from an easier group in past years but uh, you know the team's full of professionals and you would expect them to have that you know confidence on the surface at least regardless of who they played against in the past but I guess having experienced it and had that success firsthand does give you that little bit extra bit to put you over the top maybe Mo, you started us on this road of sobering up and not, you know, not getting our expectations too high in this Champions League. I shouldn't have had you on in the first place. Now, <laughs> regretting that, really. getting you on here. So, um, all right. That being said, I don't even know if I should ask you this question: Can we win the Champions League? Uh, no, I think before I answer that, I just, I just think we should all take, a, you know, take um, a time out to have a bit of um, a, a word about Higuain. He, he must be like crap now. <laughs> <laughs> what an idiot, right? Well, so he's had a rough start to the season, falling out of a boat. Getting <laughs> beat by the team that was chasing him. But yeah, I don't know. Commiserations to, to Higby. You know, if by any chance you're listening, then you know we feel for you. Yeah. Um, we've still got the away leg, mate. We might have yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's not count our chickens, you know? You know, when he scores his third goal to get his hat trick, he'll lift up his shirt and say, ha ha, mo. Check um, Napoli. Oh, let me look. Um, it's coming up now. Last game in the group is Napoli at home. Oh, sorry, Napoli away. 
So, well, so that's easy then. We'll get four points in the Dortmund game, beat Marseille, and then exactly. unleash St. Nicholas on, on Naples. Exactly. <laughs> but um, in, in answer to your question, can we win the Champions League? Um, you know, I guess like most Arsenal fans are going to hate me for doing this. I would personally say I don't think we'll win the Champions League this year. But then, on the other hand, I always, always tell myself in cup competitions, if Greece can win the Euros... <laughs> <laughs> It is. Another horrible example, Birmingham Carling Cup. Yeah. Carling Cup. Wigan FA Cup. Yeah. Anything can happen. History tells us that. Yeah. Um, but I I think, you know, there's a lot to be said for a team that knows how to win. And I think it will be very, very hard for a team that haven't won a trophy before to go and win the pinnacle of club football. I think, you know, we have to take things slowly and I think it will... Um, be off the back of gaining a lot of confidence and gaining a lot of belief as the season goes on. Mm. So if we're still up there in the league, and you know, I think something happens in the club at a, at a point in the season where people start to think, you know, we can actually win, we can actually win this trophy. Whilst before you kind of think a, a game at a time and you try not to focus on it. But if, if everything's going as well as it is now, in for example uh, March, April. Then I'd say potentially, like it, it, it's a realistic chance. But you look at what Bayern Munich did to Manchester City, and you kind of you kind of think, all right, well, it's, let's let's be realistic here. Um, we we'd be up two 0 Season, and I'd say overall, um, you know, I, I I'm not expecting the Champions League. Right. Okay. Cal, you just jumped in there and said we beat two 0 didn't we? <laughs> at their place. Although well, we did lose three one at our place. I mean, yeah. wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be brilliant? I mean, that mm. that result started this run and wouldn't it be brilliant to go full circle mm. beat them 2-0 again Lisbon in the final yeah. um, <laughs> sorry I'm dreaming but um, <laughs> no what I think what I think is important is you know, as Mo said I don't think we're going to win it but I mean Chelsea won it two, two years ago against all the odds so I wouldn't have, what's different I think from this season is that you, I mean, we all like to joke about Wenger and his mental strength quotes but it, it's, it's true you know I think I mean, what's annoyed me the last few years is we've had all these glorious defeats, you know, losing 4-0 to Milan in the first leg and then winning 2-0 on the return, losing 3-1 to Bayern at home, winning 2-0. I mean, it's, I mean, the Bayern result was a great one to win 2-0 at the Allianz Arena, but in the end it meant nothing. Um, so what I want to see is perhaps getting past, if we can, when we first get a big team, not throwing it away in the first leg, you know, not um, basically only ever playing well when there's no pressure on I want to see us going into these big games and playing like we're going to win them. Mm. And, you know, if we, if we get drawn against Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, whatever stage, and we go out to a, a genuinely better team, but we give a good account of ourselves and we walk away from it thinking, do you know what, we, we you know, we, I think we played to our potential and we just fell short because we played, you know, a world-class side, then I don't have any problems with that. I just don't want to see us collapsing in the same way that we've done against Bayern, against Milan, in, um, in recent years and in the return leg against Barcelona as well so I think we just need to look for progress really and um, if we can get through the group I'm, I'm very confident that we can um, make the quarters maybe even the semis and, and you know just get a bit of excitement going into the later stages of the season rather than being out by February mm. Interesting also Financially uh, it's, it's hugely hugely important to get to the latter stages of the Champions League every single um, round that you uh, go through to the Champions League makes such a massive difference to a club financially. So I think for our long-term vision of getting 
you know, top players to our club now, we, we really have to start performing in the Champions League. It's true. Um, yeah, to we fund that. It's the, the, honestly, the uh, prize money, the, the match day revenues mm. and stuff are astronomical. So mm. I really, really want to see us go as far as possible. Mm. Uh, and I think, you know, if I'm saying we can't win it this year, I would hope that by getting as far as we can, it would make it uh, a reality in kind of the coming year. Mm. That's a good point. Um, Leo, you've said in the past that um, success off the field is one thing. Uh, or, 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 you know, generating money, commercial revenues off the field is one thing, but the best way you can generate money is, to, is by having success on the field. You know, um, the more successful you are as a, as a brand on the field, the more, you know, you create synergies. Uh, our big multinationals want to, want to, want to buy into your brand. Um, Correct. I mean, it, it's like with cell phones. I mean, just bear with me here for a minute. Sure. <laughs> don't go to sleep anyone don't go to sleep cell phones that sell well and people pay for and they make you know a profit because they've got a good bottom line they've got their cost structure under control and then you've got companies like apple that make the iphone that people absolutely love and adore and are willing to pay that extra money for because it's such a nice product and it's what they want to buy and they don't spend any more to produce that phone than, you know, say Samsung, for example, spends to make theirs. But Apple's in a much better position because they've got a better product. They've, they produce something people want to pay that extra money for. So my thought always is then you take that money that you're bringing in, put it into product improvement, in Arsenal's case, the squad that plays on the pitch, and then you've got that better product that people are willing to pay more for. And then you know, it's a kind of like success breeding success. Right. Success on the pitch creates success off the pitch. Mm-hmm. Well? Yeah, I agree. Um, unfortunately, football's like no other industry. It's, um, you know, for example, we've signed Meza Ozil and spent 40 odd million on him. And, and truth be told, if he retires at our club, we, we take a huge loss. You know, if, if we sell him on when he's kind of 30 and recover some of the fee, it's actually kind of better for us. If we sell him on in four years at his peak, we could even make more money and um, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, you kind of invest, but football's a strange one. It, it throws up different things like, like that, you know, loyalty and a player retiring at your club. Um, and that's what staff retention that actually can kind of work against you. So I think it's really, really crucial to um, look to use our brand to extract as much value as possible. Um, you know, in, in terms of resources, the, the money that you make or the players that you have, any, any resource that the club has, they're all uh, finite resources, but your club brand is an infinite resource. And I, I really am a strong believer that you have to, you know, not shamelessly, but you have to squeeze that for every penny that you possibly can. Okay. Um, I- and, I think the conversation might come onto it later, but mm. I, I don't think we're doing that right now. So, um, you know, that, that does have to be pushed back into the playing squad, but I, I think there's a lot more scope for okay. us to do that. Okay, you say that we should maximise um, player thingy, when he reaches his peak, for sending him on for double. No, I'm, I'm not advocating that. Okay, I'm you're not advocating, advocating but you suggested. It's, it's a suggestion that, it's a suggestion, you know, that we, we, it could be done. Uh, in yeah, football terms, it, it Right, but if we retain the core of our best players, instead of selling 
Ramsey for 40 million or selling Erzul for 80 million, um, if we keep them for the best part of six, seven years and we win championships, we win Champions Leagues, we, 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 we get more, as you said, the further you go in competitions, the more you win competitions, the more you earn from, 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 from prize money. You get, you, you then negotiate bigger commercial deals. Wouldn't them staying on, helping us to win trophies, actually serve better and be more financially, uh, 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 sound, a more financially sound proposition in terms of money that we can generate from them than, than selling them on in two, three, four years at the peak? Thoughts on this? Do you agree? Uh, I, mean, I, I agree with everything that's been said, you know, and I think um, I think what we'd all like to think is, you know, Stan Kroenke has not been a popular person since he's taken over Arsenal, especially over the last two years. But uh, as someone who I would consider myself as, a, you know, a glass half full kind of guy, I really want to believe that the signing of Urso is is a turning point. You know, I mean, it, there's been a debate going on about whether or not the money's been there or whether or not Wenger just doesn't want to spend it. But either way, the money obviously is there, has been spent, and, you know, thanks to guys like Mo who are doing the, the work, finding out, you know, really unearthing the finances, so it's out there how much money we have to spend, you know, how it's being spent, whether we can spend it. I think we're now, and, I mean, I remember at the end of last season, I don't know if you guys remember after the Newcastle game, but Gary Neville spoke about how if we return, if Arsenal were to return to this, what we used to be, you know, a, one of the biggest clubs, you know, the biggest club in the country competing for European honours, it would be seen as an absolute masterstroke. I think he said it was, he probably said something like it was time for, it was now the time was for us to kick on. Yeah, he said he thinks he knows. Yeah. He said he thinks he knows. And I said throughout the window, I think, I think exactly the same. I just thought we didn't know how to spend that money. We were not used to it. Mm-hmm. And this will probably bring on nicely to, uh, Mo's work on Gazidis and quite how good it, his job he is. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, I genuinely thought we had, it wasn't the ambition in the summer. It was, we were just quite inept and I think that wasn't excusable but I, I really did believe that when we were bidding for Suarez when we were interested in Higuain we did want to buy these players and eventually we got Ertzel so for me I, I'm, I'm, I would love it more than anything else if this is the turning point and with the finances out in the open with these increased financial deals with the new Premier League TV money 
if this is a new, you know, this we'll look back at this summer and say, when Ertzel signed, everything changed for many reasons. You know, just for him as a player coming in was fantastic, but spending that money, I mean, we're now the in England, we've spent more, our record transfers bigger than Man City's. Yeah. That's mind blowing, and it would be bigger than Chelsea's if they hadn't gone and bought Torres for fifty million for some reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm cautiously optimistic at this point, but I, I really do. I really hope that with all the increased revenue coming in, with the way we're playing, that we will we will see a new era of spending at Arsenal. And the thing is, I don't think the squad even needs. It doesn't need revamping. You know, we just need. I think we need a new striker. And perhaps another centre back, and then we've got an incredible squad. Mm. And then perhaps when Arteta gets on a bit, we go and buy a, a brilliant centre midfielder. Mm. So, in the same way that Bayern, what they do is they buy one or two great players every summer. You know, last summer they bought Martinez from from Bilbao. This summer they bought Thiago and they bought um, Ingerza. I would love us if we get to the point where we have an incredible squad that don't want to leave, mm. and as players go on a little bit, we can then go out and spend twenty, thirty million pounds on one. Leo, did you want to come in? Yeah, Callum, you said that you don't think the squad needs revamping, and I agree with you, but I think it has actually already been revamped, because we've got rid of... Exactly, yeah. And I think, you know, uh, maybe last season, recent seasons, people at training, they'll look around them and say, what level do I have to get to? What do I need better than to guarantee me a place in this team? And the competition doesn't put you on a really, really high level. I think that's starting to change now. When you've got Urzel in the team, and you know, as fans, we're we're thinking, God, who do we put in? Like, who would we choose in our midfield, for example, being our strongest area? The, the midfielders then are going to be thinking, oh, I hope I get picked. They're going to be thinking, well, I need to raise it. And well, that's what's great. I mean, all the noises in the summer coming out of the players was so positive. You I mean you had Arteta coming in and saying we should go and buy these great players, and Arteta probably knew full well that if this was to happen, he might not get, he might not play as much. I mean, yeah. Giroud, who. I mean, if he had just kept his mouth shut, he could have been secretly thinking, mm, you know, if we don't buy anyone, that means I'm going to play every game because I'm probably going to play ahead of Bentner. Uh, but instead, he's coming out and saying, I welcome the competition. And what I love about this current squad is there's no one in there, you think, who doesn't have the club's best interest at heart. You feel like everyone from the kid, you know, the guy, all the, you know, the British core obviously love being at Arsenal, you know, but then we've got guys like Azula and Podolsky and, and Mertesacker, who all seem to just love being Arsenal players, and they really do, and Giroud as well, they've completely, you know, they've completely taken the club into the heart and play like that, and it's so apart brilliant to watch them. What, sorry? Apart from Bentner, of course. Apart from Bentner, but he's a bit of an anomaly, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's something else. But, um, cool. I, I just want to, I just want to bring it back round to the, to, 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 to the, um, yeah. administration side of the Arsenal regime. Um, Leo, um, it's been rumoured this week that um, you know, uh, in the Daily Mail, I think it was that um, Arsenal were preparing an eight million a year, three year deal for him. Um, how do you appraise if you were Gazidis, and we'll come on to Gazidis's salary in, in, in a moment. If you're in Gazidis's position, how would you appraise Wenger? What, what criteria like do you said think? In the last couple of weeks, you know, and as the rumors have been kind of building and building, is I don't understand. The huge rush to get it done right now. I mean, there's still so much more of the season ahead of us, and you know, over the last few years, I don't think that the manager's performance has warranted that kind of money. 
but this year, you know, we seem to be going in a different direction, which is positive, but there's still, you know, a lot of results to come in yet, and we might not be any in any different position in February, so why are we doing it now? I just don't understand the rush. Yeah, I, 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 exactly, I see exactly your point. I mean, we're offering him half a million more than he's currently getting and it seems like just because he's bought that deal, we've, we've gone on a, a, a beaten run. I mean, it could all change. God forbid, you know, touch what it doesn't, but it could all change overnight and we could find ourselves in the position we were this time one, last year. One thing I want to say that I think I completely understand some of the, I mean, personally, I would wait as well to get in the contract. I think it would be, as well as we're doing, we shouldn't, in the same way that I don't like knee-jerk reactions when we're playing badly, about the same thing when we're playing well, we need to be cautious and, you know, but at the same time, you know, if <clears throat> if Wenger had decided this summer about to walk away, like no doubt that Real Madrid, Barcelona, PSG, Monaco would have all been after him. I mean, he is he is seen as one of the greatest managers in the world. So I think perhaps his contract. I agree. I can understand some of the um, reservations about it, but you know, we are we're, we're, we're going to give him a contract that's going to keep him away from these huge clubs that would ha would love to get him in and would pay him that kind of money, if not more. So that that would be my argument uh, for, for giving him that kind of contract. Hmm. I do agree with you, Callum. I think that uh, you know, if we're offering Wenger eight million, that's not his maximum potential earning. I think if he was a mercenary, if he was like Van Persken, he could go out and earn a hell of a lot more elsewhere. Oh, definitely, yeah. I do think we are very lucky to have him. My only issue with Wenger has been a stubbornness and unfortunately, there's not a lot of tra uh, there's not a lot of transparency in the club, and it's actually quite hard to apportion blame as fans mm. from the outside. I agree. So I, I really don't know whether it is Wenger or not. But if someone said to me in '96 or God knows when it was, yeah, October '96, um, 17 years ago this week, as uh, we've been hearing, well, yeah, if someone said to mm. me 17 years ago, mm. um, you know, a manager can come in and they'd list all of the achievements given what the club was then. And then, and, you know, even with the Baron spell and said this is the money he'd be on and this all the achievements, I'd say, look, overall, on the bigger on the bigger picture, it's a good deal and I would have taken it. And I, I do think that, you know, Arsene Wenger has been phenomenal for this club. Um, football fans are very, very fickle. I think if one day we woke up and heard the news, saw it on the internet that Wenger's left the club, I think we'd all have an element of fear about who the hell are we going to get um, what, what they're going to do to our club, and I think the perfect example is what's going on at Man United. Man United are in a fabulous 12 at the minute in the league. <laughs> Beautiful to see, but I wouldn't really enjoy that effort as Arsenal. So um, I think with that risk that comes with changing someone that's been part of the club and has, you know, fair enough, not won trophies over the last eight years, but has been consistent in what, in what he's achieved, I think we, we as fans kind of think to ourselves, Oh, is he worth the eight million? As if we're giving it to him, as if you know, um, it, it, we've got some ownership of this decision. But if you think about who's actually giving him this money and who's actually offering him the contract, it's Stan Kroenke. He owns the club. He's decided he wants him as the manager, and he's given him his backing recently. It's very, very easy to see why. We we're talking about the importance of going into the latter stages of the Champions League. The only thing more important than that is getting into the Champions League. If Karenki changes manager and we get inconsistency and as a result of that we don't qualify for the Champions League, Arsenal's whole business model goes out the window. 
We won't be returning profits anymore. Our share price will go down. Stan Kroenke takes 25k out of the club every year as a salary, which is absolutely nothing. To think that a billionaire takes the UK national average salary out of Arsenal. You know, he's not in it for uh, short-term cash withdrawals. He's in it for the long-term capital increase in value of the club. And with a change of manager, you're going to get a much higher risk of that capital value decreasing. So for Stan Kroenke, it's a no-brainer. Keep okay. Wenger in, yeah. keep okay. the club value increasing, and he's the person offering the contract. Okay. So whether we think it's value for money or not, Stan Kroenke definitely does. But my personal opinion is that Wenger is one of the best things that's ever happened to this club. And after all the success he's given us, he deserves... Uh, you know, I say this, even maybe doubting myself, but I almost think he deserves a year of failure. He deserves, you know, to be given that leeway because he's done so much with the club. But okay. luckily, he hasn't had that year of failure in that, you know, we're 12th in the league or anything silly like that. And, okay. um, cool. you know, it seems like he's changed that stubbornness. All right, Leo, Leo, uh, I did interrupt. Uh, Mo's made a very sound argument there in, 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 in why we should retain Wenger services and why we should we shouldn't be grudging his eight million a year. Do you think um he's deserving of, of that? I mean there's I, I can't help but think that I'm not an I'm not an I'm not part of the Wenger out brigade and I'm not part of the Wenger knows best brigade. But this the, the people that are kind of pro Wenger always kind of throw the argument that you know, careful what you wish for because, you know, grass isn't always greener, you know, we could we could sink out at the bottom of the league and so on and so forth and blah de blah de blah. What what do you think, Leo? I mean, do you agree with what Mo and, and Callum are saying in term in that, you know, he's the greatest thing you know, he he deserves his eight million in the new contracts or do you think that as some people say most of his glory will all of his glory, all of his success, success was in the first half of his tenure. This last half, he's not spent the money that was available to him. All he's cared about is getting us into fourth place, into that Champions League position. Could he have done more? I mean, what's your assessment? Well, from a business aspect, he's been great for the club. He has done a good job of getting us into the Champions League and getting us those revenues and you know, increasing the profile of Arsenal around the world. Um, but to me, there's more to the club than financial success. To me, that doesn't really make a difference, honestly. I understand that financial success is necessary to have on-the-field success because you're not going to be able to pay the players that are required if you don't have the money coming in. But at the same time, you know, if we're stuck in that, you know, second to top rung on the ladder because we just don't have the right pieces of the puzzle to put us over the edge and give us, you know, the glory. I'd rather, you know, make that change to try to reach that top step. Um, and over the last few years, that's kind of been my thought is that, you know, perhaps we do need a change. You know, maybe it's a change in philosophy. Maybe it's a change in playing style. Maybe it's a change in manager. You know, maybe, maybe it's a change in ownership. It depends on, you know, how you want to look at it. But I don't really consider myself to be a, a winger out or in guy. But I am and have been an advocate for change. And that is 
an aspect that we could make a big impact in the club, but at the same time, you are taking that risk of it being a big negative impact, as is the case with United. But there's also, for every case like United, several other examples around Europe where big clubs have made managerial changes and hardly had a hiccup. True. So, Chelsea you know, changes it's, every it's, year, a, it's a matter of how much you're willing to take mm. that risk, you know, how, how, how risk-adverse you are. Mm. And I don't consider myself to be a very risk-adverse person. Mm. I think this topic of risk, again, comes back to the two approaches different people will take as, as owners of the club. As I mentioned earlier, a fan will have a higher risk appetite in order to change right. And someone who owns a club who isn't a fan, a.k.a. Stan Kroenke, he may well not have that appetite. So I think that links in again. Okay. And that's probably playing into his you know, choice of uh, offering the contract quite heavily because as a businessman, that is probably the more intelligent move to make right now. Yeah, as a businessman, definitely. Mm. Okay, let's let's move on to Gazidis. <clears throat> Recently it was announced that, uh, it was disclosed that he's, he's earning 1.9 million a year, including bonuses. Uh, Mo, you wrote, you, know, you kind of wrote an analysis um, as to uh, comparing his salary with that of uh, David Dean. I think you also used uh, Keith, Keith Edelman. Yeah. Salary. Um, he was comparing uh, <coughs> salaries with inflation, non-inflation, so on and so forth. What we mentioned, what we, what we kind of touched upon last week was we don't really know what Gazidis does. So we don't know how they appraise his role yeah. well, you know does he uh, i think uh inchi said that you know dick law runs a sort of transfer negotiation part of the 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 the, the business uh, gazidis definitely runs the commercial side of the business you know with all the new commercial deals coming in he's been at the forefront what how did you come to your Uh, what the transfer window was for us 
uh, it was a great end to it, but there was a long, long period of absolute inaction, which I, I think is unforgivable, really. And I think uh, Gazidis does have to take a bit of stick for that. Even if you uh, look at the commercial side of things, he's not performing, in my opinion, as well as he should be. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that assessment. I agree with that part of the assessment, definitely. But apportioning blame to him where the transfer dealings are, 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 are regard, you get the impression that Wenger's a director of football, he's a chief transfer negotiator, he's a chief scout, he, he's sort of... He's the kit man. He's the kit man. He's, um, he's like the Fidel Castro of football. You know, he doesn't... He, he likes to micromanage everything. He wants to be the man that makes the decisions or, or doesn't. I think I, I read... I heard a rumour that he's the one, you know, he'll say, yeah, I want that guy and then 24 hours later, oh, I'm not too sure about it or he's Dilver and he'll procrastinate and then... The deal was gone. You know, I was listening to, I'll go back to Aurelio Laurentius the other day. He said that he heard, he was after a Brazilian fella. The guy, there was a problem with his image rights. He said to his, his one of his, um, um, administrators, get Real Madrid on the phone. Let's hear what they got to say about, you know, Higuain. Within 10 minutes, they struck a 38 million euro deal. Get his father and his brother on the phone. Bang. They took him to a, locked him away in a hotel for eight hours and freshed the deal out. You know, so I think you need someone to be able to challenge Wenger, someone who's very confident, someone who's very sure in their abilities. Um, and when I look back to when David Dean was at the club, mm. I I think there was challenge there, right. uh, and they made a very good team. Mm. And David Dean was highly competent. Right. I think now Wenger has a huge amount of respect at the club, mm. where maybe he isn't challenged enough. And you know, Wenger's not perfect. He's not, you know, a, a machine. He will have his flaws. Mm. He may have um, elements of doubt in his mind. And I think that's when other people potentially need to step up. So I don't think it's fair to blame Wenger for being human. But right. I think we need to say Wenger's very competent. Mm. And we need other competent people around him. Right. An example of incompetence was the um, 40 million and a pound thing. Yeah. I've got no problem with that offer. Because it makes no sense to give a, com a competitor more money for no reason. If over 40 million is a clause, then fine, offer 40 million in the pound. But the fact of the matter is, it wasn't the clause. Now, even Gazidis, CEO, would have sanctioned 40 million pounds leaving his organisation. So he sanctioned it on what basis? Who the hell did we trust? Which cowboy came up to the club and said, oh, well, by the way, over 40 million is a clause? And we'll turn around and said, oh, really? Cheers for that. See you later. I mean, it's a joke. If someone comes up to you tomorrow and, you know, says, oh, it's buy one, get one free at Marks and Spencer on this, you'll, you'll probably check it out on the internet before you go there or something. You'll do your own fucking research and mm. that really winds me up. I think that shows the incompetence. Mm. Leo? Uh, yeah, I'd have to agree with that. There's, you know, somewhere somebody, somebody dropped the ball somewhere along the line and, you know, unfortunately, as you know, it was said the buck stops at the top, mm. and the CEO is the guy that has to take the you know shoulder the blame ultimately. Mm. Can, can I just say that here's a theory: when Wenger was brought to the club, Dean was already in position. He was the vice chairman. He was the second in line, wasn't he? he was the heir to the throne. Um, there was Keith Edelman, there was Keith Ken Fryer, and so on and so forth. But 
you know, the 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 the, the knights of the round table were already there, and Wenger was brought in, so they had very clear and definite. I, I mean, it was just after the Graham George Graham debacle, so there were quite clear and definite um, um, rules and 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 and, and stringent, you know, regulations set in place as to what the manager does, what his role is. Okay, um, 2007 saw um, a coup, um, you know. Um, Dean was kicked off, kicked out of the club for selling up. Well, he, I think he introduced Colin Craig, but he ended up selling his shares to, to Usmanov. And then Wenger, in my mind, was, 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 was seen as the, you know, the, 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 the bastion, the, the honorable one, the, the one that we could entrust. And he was allowed to bring in Gazidis. So the kind of the 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 playing field had kind of changed, if you want, from when he was brought into a very strict regime to now, where he was now sort of you know the 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 virtuous one, and he was allowed to pick. In my mind, I could be wrong. In my mind, who he wanted around him. It's certainly unhealthy, isn't it? I mean, to to pick your own boss because you feel like to pick your own boss. I mean, because he doesn't have any power over Wenger. I don't know if you'd want him to have that power, but it, it doesn't certainly seem... I mean, you know, when, as you said, when Wenger came into the club originally, Dean was his boss, you know. I mean, obviously they worked alongside each other, but... There was definitely... You know, there was no kind of... Um, there was definitely there was no division. lines yeah. as to who was working for yeah. who. But now, I mean, you feel like... I mean, it's, I think it's quite... Um, it's probably knowledge that Wenger had a huge part in... in, um, in hiring Yazidis. And, um, and, and if and if you listen to um, Kronke, Kronke's recent comments, he said, look, you know, Wenger's my man. So it, it, to me, it seems like whatever Gazidis or even Chips Keswick says, Wenger's my man. He can stay here as long as he wants. Go on, go yeah, on. I think, I think, though, that Wenger, the way it works at Arsenal, I think there's a mutual understanding between everyone that this is a, you know, we're, we're part of something quite big here and there's not going to be any conflicting I mean, there's a lot of things wrong at administrative level. Like, I think we should have a director of football. You know, we shouldn't have Wenger doing everything. And we should probably have a better um, CEO than than Kazidis. Uh, but you don't have this friction that you have at other clubs. And if you look back over the last two years, so some of the controversial decisions that, that, that Wenger's made, so for example, playing Aaron Ramsey at a period where he wasn't playing well, and it would have been very easy for Wenger to have held his hands up and say, all right, guys, the fans have spoken, I'm going to drop him or even sell him. But he, he knew that he could keep playing Ramsey. Just this is one of many decisions that people have disagreed with it, with over the last few years and know that the board weren't going to get on his back about it. They were going to leave everything to him. So he had the freedom to make these decisions without, you know, whereas, for example, you wonder at the moment, is Roman Abramovich happy with Juan Mata sitting on the bench? You feel like he might be wanting to say to Mourinho, well, you know, you've got to play Mata, you know, he's our best player, he's huge to weight. So the, the one good thing I'd say is that we don't have that any of that friction. Mm. Um, obviously, there the could come a point where I mean, I don't think that point we're far from that point at the moment, but where Wenger does need to leave, perhaps he won't want to leave, and then you've got this weird situation where Gazidis or Kronke will want to get Wenger out the door, and <laughs> there comes this power struggle. But I think um, I think that it's it's definitely flawed the way we have it at the club, mm. but there are some good aspects of it. As I mentioned, but if I could make a few changes, I definitely think if you look at the window, the way that 
I hate to say it, but the way that Tottenham and City bought, you know, it was very effective. They got these big money deals through the door, um, and they both have new chief um, directors of footballs doing that. So I think, you know, it's all it's great that, for example, Wenger can call up Herzl and speak in German and convince him to come and convince him about the project, but he shouldn't be the one, or even Gazidis or Dick Law. I mean, they, they obviously haven't done, done a good job. They were too inept this summer. Um, and then we can use someone like the Spurs and City have got to, to get these deals over the line, even if Wenger's the one to convince the players to come. Cool. Uh, Mo? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I do think it's very obvious um, that they, they haven't done a good job this summer. They were inept. Uh, we had a, a cracking um, mobile phone analogy, uh, so I'm going to give you a, another analogy here. You know, if Gazidis goes on holiday, um, exchanges up his uh, pounds into you know whatever foreign currency, and goes on a holiday, walks into a shop and says, "I'm here for seven days. I've taken out uh, four thousand of your local currency. I'll see you on my last day." And then walks back in and goes, "Oh, I've got two thousand left. I'm desperate to uh, to use it." You know, you, you're going to get fleeced, and effectively, that's what you did for us. You know, it's a simple analogy, but you, you never really give away these kind of internal secrets to um, to that your was amateur, yeah. to your market. You know, mm. And that's basic logic. Yeah. If if, uh, if a kid goes on a holiday, he'll know better than to do that. He'll yeah. kind of hide his money in his pocket and yeah. buy his sweets, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and for me, I, I just found that stunning. I just found that absolutely stunningly uh, shambolic. The yeah. fact that we Amateurish. Yeah. I, I just think a, a CEO should know better. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't like the fact that there's no accountability at our club. No. He's been rewarded, rewarded with a 450k bonus this year. Mm. And what I think, Mo, is that you know over the last few years, because that's been silent stand. He hasn't been he hasn't been accountable for anything, as you say. So often it's been Gazidis who's been the absolute whipping boy. He's yeah. the one going to these fan forums and people are saying, "Why aren't you spending? Why are you doing this?" And he sat there and. I think he is pretty useless, but he's taken that. So I think they knew they knew ahead of time this summer we could spend. And he was so eager to tell everyone that he's come out and said it. And obviously as the summer's gone on and we've struggled to buy players, that's looked more and more and more and more stupid. And I'm sure until the Ertzel deal went through, he was sweating because he must think, what have I... Because it was such an amateur mistake to come out and say, we've got loads of money. And then when we call clubs up and they say, right, we want an extra £5 million markup. Suddenly we're saying, why? Why do you want that? It's like, well, could you, you shut, you know, you spurted your, your nonsense at the beginning of the window. So that that was was unforgivable. And, and I mean, obviously, uh, sort of signing up sort of saved some face. But I tell you what, through through July and August, he must have been sweating as every deal seemed not 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 to come off. Exactly, and I I just want to see accountability for it. I don't think he should be getting such a massive bonus. I mean, I, I've got a lot to say on bonuses, mm. but um, I I just want to see some accountability for it. You know, for me, a, a football manager should identify his targets and then let the negotiation be done. He doesn't need to uh, concern himself too much with how much is being spent. I think yeah. the conversation should go something along the lines of, "Arsenal to even see this. Uh, I want this player. Okay, fine. Uh, you want him." Do you think he's available? If so, how much for? What, what's the max you want to spend on him? Who are all the players you want to add to your squad? Do we have enough to cover it? What are your priorities? Establish, you know, what's important to the manager. And then the manager goes back to the squad and does what he's there to do. You know, the people that are good with business go and do that. Because, let's face it, we've got a very intelligent, articulate um, manager in Arsene Wenger. So we, we, we kind of maybe assume that he is in charge of negotiating these deals. But you imagine some of the other managers in the league. You imagine Sam Allardyce. Do you reckon he's going to get involved with all of these 
complex clauses, or does he leave it to people in the suits to do it? Mm. I, I think, as fans, we kind of expect too much of Wenger because of the way he is, and, you know, he's, he's the professor, isn't he? So we, we think he can do absolutely everything. And he's an economist. He's trained. As is um, Kronke, should I have. Yeah. But, um, you know, Wenger is a football manager. Yeah. That's his remit. So mm. I think other people, that, that would be my guess, because it is all guesswork about who's accountable. Mm. My guess is that it's not Wenger who's accountable for messing up these transfer deals. Yeah, he, he might have a bit of, um, you know, he might change his mind. I don't know if that's true. But then that's where a CEO needs to come in and say, look, you know, I'm going to play the hard line, I want your targets, give me your targets, and we'll achieve that, you know, and create the culture of an organisation. I don't think, um, he, I don't think Gazidis does that. Cool. If you, if you guys want, I, I'll share with you um, a bit of info about, you know, because we talk about, if, I think that one thing we all agree on is that he is, Gazidis is in charge of the commercial side of the club. Mm. So, if, if we all agree on that, that's one area we can judge him on. And I'll just give you a bit of information about uh, the commercial side of the club. I've, I've done a bit of analysis on the top six, or, or the big six. I, w- I say top six, but Man United are 12. I, I love Man United. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't really call it the top six, but the big six being Arsenal, Man City, Man U, Liverpool, Chelsea, and them not down the road. Yeah. Um, now, in terms of the commercial partners the clubs have got, just the number of commercial partners, this is research that I've done, and any research that I do, I always try and make sure it's directly from the club, because there's so many differing sources you can get within football. So just to let everyone that's listening to this know, these are all from the club, from the club websites. Mm-hmm. Arsenal have got 14 commercial partners, and that's true as of today at 4 p.m. You know, I check to make sure that it's the most up-to-date information. Arsenal have got 14 commercial partners. Yep. Now, if I was to ask you, out of the remaining five of the big six, how many of the five would you guess have got more commercial partners? How many would you guess have got less commercial partners? So, if you give me a number for how many you think have got more commercial partners than us? I'd say two. I would say, well, United definitely. It's hard to say. I would say two or three. Two or three. Yeah. Based on the premise of the topic, I'm going to have to go with all of them. Well, it's out of the remaining five, it's four. Uh, that's close. <laughs> so, Man City, Man U, Liverpool and Chelsea have all got more commercial partners than Arsenal. The only team that doesn't is uh, the Denver down the road. So they're not even a champion league. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and they've actually got 11 commercial partners. We've got 14. I, I don't think there's enough of a gap there, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, considering we're Champions League and we have been for so many consecutive seasons. Mm. And just to let you know, Man City have got 17 commercial partners. Mm-hmm. They don't need commercial partners because they are owned by an absolute billionaire. Yeah. You know, it's almost irrelevant for them. Yeah. And a lot of their commercial partners are Middle Eastern based. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'd say they're, they're kind of um, in their own bracket, to be yeah. honest with you. Uh, Liverpool have got 18 commercial partners. Yeah. Chelsea, also billionaire-owned, yeah. have got 19 commercial partners. Yeah. And Man United, I hate to praise that club, they've got 31 commercial partners. Well, I, I, they've, they've I, got like a Bolivian tyre sponsor and, and that yeah. kind of thing, haven't they? It's, it's ridiculous. I just think, you know, you've got to admire their aggressive commer- the, 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 the policy when it comes to commercial deals they are aggressive if they if they don't think they're getting enough and they think they can get enough somewhere else 
exactly. it's, it's not a problem. Well, and, and to be fair, they do have a global reach that is almost unparalleled yeah. in the world, and, and certainly unparalleled with and, England. And Leo, it comes back to on the field success, doesn't it? When you when you when you when you when you when you, when you sort of break it all down, why are they so big? It's because they're so successful, and everybody wants to be associated with them. Just like the New yeah. York Yankees, just like the LA Lakers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. and they end up following Arsenal, huh? <laughs> you know? But you know, I think that shows that they're doing really good work at Man United to, to develop 31 commercial partners. Mm. Um, and, you know, whatever happens on the football pitch, this is done off the pitch. It's off the back of what happens on the pitch. But, you know, they're, they're doing a good job. And if we talk about even Gazidis running the commercial arm of Arsenal, that's not good enough. The fact no. that. I mean, no, they were announcing the other day that Gatorade, we, we got a yeah. sponsorship with Gatorade. Well, it's only 600 grand a year or something like that. And Gatorade, they don't, they're not going to give us a big commercial deal because they want to be, they want to spread themselves out as, you know, amongst as many football clubs or sporting clubs as they can. So yeah. it's not in their interest to have an exclusive deal with somebody. So why Arsenal were, you know, I don't know, announcing that from the rooftops, I'm not sure, but. I just want to mention that your brand has got infinite potential. Mm. You, you don't ever saturate the potential of your brand. Mm. So we can get more than 14 commercial partners out of that. Why haven't we done that? Yeah. And United have got one called Mr. Potato for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to be doing more. And that definitely falls solely on even Gazidis. Mm. I think okay. football's a lot about who you know and the contacts you have. Mm. And, you know, for me, the comparison is always David Dean because I genuinely believe he's the best person to be CEO at Arsenal. Mm. He was FA Vice Chairman and he also headed the G14 he did. group clubs in Europe. He did. He now, was a very influential player. He's a very influential man. Hugely, hugely. Mm. A lot of people um, put his influence down to um, protecting Wenger from being considered an England jock. Mm. You know, and, and little things like that, but you can get yourself in someone some with David Dean's contacts and respect in the game. Mm. To have that is brilliant, and he'll be able to go and extract value out of absolutely everything and make the difference. I, I just question whether Gazidis is able to. He's been in the role for a while now. So 14 commercial partners today, when he's had chance to, to change that and to add to it, mm. I don't think that's good enough. Mm. I mean, was, was Dean's influence not so strong that there were some people talking about a conflict of interest, was it not, when he was yeah. um, involved with the FA? Yeah. I mean, Jose was actually uh, one of the people that was saying it's unacceptable. Mm. And for me, I had always thought it. I, I thought, this is a bit strange. Surely, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I would hate it if that was another club, mm. but you know, I'm not going to complain. I was, I was cool to bits. Yeah. And I'd love to have him back at the club. He was a huge, huge player in the English game. Mm. Zedis was um, a top dog in the MLS. He yeah, commercial department, the commercials, yeah. revenue size yeah. or something like that. That's right. Uh, Leo, um, so just... Uh, wrap it up. I mean, do you would you prefer to see a, a David Dean in the helm rather than a Gazidis? Or? I, it's kind of a loaded question. I mean, mm. the success of the one compared to the other, and then you factor in the compensation for the one that's been unsuccessful mm. compared to the compensation for the one that was. It's there's only one choice: mm. David Dean. Mm. Cool, uh, Cal. Maybe, maybe it'll help you mm. to know that if. Um, if we took inflation into consideration for the last salary that David Dean got at Arsenal in 2007, in 2013, he would have earned £381,000. 
Well, we can, we can, we, we, we all full and well know if inflation <laughs> hasn't played a part in any, in any, um, contract negotiations for, for, for Wenger or, or Gazidis. We can, we can. Well, well Mark, I looked, I looked through some of the stats mm. that you had and, um, especially the one, the, the percentage Gazidis had of overall revenue, the mm. amount was going to him yeah. in comparison to Dean was, yeah. was quite a shocking figure, especially mm. when you consider that our revenue has increased, um, so, over the years. Um, just to reiterate then, um, even with inflation added on to uh, David Dean's salary from 2007, mm. turnover could have covered his salary at 381k 735 times, but what Gazidis took away from the club, our turnover in 2013 could only cover it 205 times. Well, there you go. There you go. Alright then, so uh, I think we've, we've uh, had as much financial <laughs> um, information yeah, as we're going to take um, I think um, we can all safely say that as, as uh, the further we go in the competition the more money we'll make the more successful we'll have on the pitch and the rosy it will all seem um, I think on that happy yeah exactly exactly so on that happy note we'll um, go on to our next topic of conversation and that will be the forthcoming West Brom game this Sunday You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off.